<coughs> this is a case from the Shoyoroku. Jinchan asks about nature. The introduction. One who hears the ears of the elephants crossing the river is still affected by the current. One who hears that the nature of life is unborn is still held back by life. If you go on talking about before concentration and after concentration, making bamboo shoots and making bamboo ropes, you will be marking the boat when the sword is long gone, kicking the wheel of potential into motion. How can you particularly travel down the one road? Let's try to bring it up. The main case. Master Jinshan asked Master Zhushan, clearly knowing the unborn nature of life, why are we stayed by life? Zhushan said, bamboo shoots will eventually become bamboo, but if you use them now for bamboo rope, can you make them serve the purpose? Jinshan said, Later on, you will be enlightened on your own. Jinshan said, I'm just this way. What is your meaning? Jinshan said, This is the monastery superintendent's quarter. That is the cook's quarter. Jinshan then bowed. The verse, empty and at ease, without dependence, lofty and serene, untrammeled, home and country, peaceful, those who arrive are rare. A little bit of power divides ranks and grades, the fluid mind and body is beyond right or wrong. Right and wrong ended standing alone on earth there is no beaten track so so many years ago after i finished my three years mandatory service the military, Israeli military. I set foot on a long journey around the world. And it consisted of long periods of staying to live and work in different countries. And then some periods of extensive travel. And the decision to travel in such a way came out of a deep sense of curiosity about other cultures, but also a deep yearning to experience different spiritual practices. Practices I was fascinated about as a teenager, done a lot of reading about. Mostly was interested in different streams of Buddhism. And I've done some as a teenager, some meditation on my own, 
into some solitary contemplation. And yet, yet I kept encountering a gap, a palpable gap between the intellectual understanding of what I was reading and the actual experiences, everyday life experiences. And I was looking for ways to bridge the gap and experience what I was, what I thought I understood. But even through extensive travel and exposure to different experiences, still, always seems to be a sense of gap, like a like seeing reality as if I was traveling through a glass bubble. Seeing reality, but not really experiencing, not feeling it deeply. Or like putting a piece of juicy fruit in your mouth and not fully tasting it. So the challenge for me became to examine the nature of the glass. And look at the nature of the substance that seems to be covering the tongue, preventing the taste buds from discerning the real flavors of life. And the process gradually led me to fully commit to this path and to allow it to penetrate the skin, flesh, bone, marrow, to give it space, the time, the attention. I think we all have our stories of how we got to practice. Right? Each of us enters a spiritual practice through different gates, which of course correspond to our individual karma and personal circumstances. So the gates may be different, but commonly we share a recognition of feeling held back or entangled in some way. And we share a level of trust that liberation from what is holding us back is actually attainable. We can free ourselves. We can experience different kind of life in this life, in this time. Which is true. But there's a catch there. We enter from a reality that is chopped up to segments and gradations. And with a mind that is accustomed to breaking things up, especially time. Breaking time to, up to linear progression segments based on past, present, future. Because we're so accustomed to functioning this way, we actually try to force that on the practice as well. And expect it, meaning the practice, to correspond with our way of thinking. Just look at your own experiences of practice. What brought you to decide to begin practicing? 
Where do you think you are now? Where would you like to go later? This is, this is what, this is the kind of energy or, or thoughts that float around in our heads. Maybe we don't always admit it, but it's there. Am I there? How long will it take? Now, the quality of your practice is determined by the kind of expectations you have brought with you. And what we refer to as progress will be affected by what we dump into the practice as we practice. So, if you think it will take a long time before you get somewhere with it or have some level of realization, then you're filling the blank with an idea of time segments. And then, the danger is, is that we, you proceed to practice in accordance with that. It will take time. I am not there yet. This coin brings up a dialogue between two Dharma brothers who both have finished formal study under Master Dijang. Now, Jinshan being the older one of the two in this, and for the sake of evolving the Dharma and furthering Zhuishan's understanding, he asked a very simple question to the point. Clearly knowing the unborn nature of life, why are we stayed by life? We come into practice, all of us, from being entangled in one way or another, or many ways, entangled by life, by circumstances, by what happens. And of course, since this is the path of liberation, Naturally, we think that at some point we will clarify our fundamental true nature, right? know the unborn nature of life, to become clear about that, and become liberated from the entanglements. So, of course, the question makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Clearly knowing the unborn and undying nature of life, how can it be possible that we still get entangled? To be held back, to, st to be stayed by life, how do we get entangled? By what happens, by fears, by people, situations, fluctuations in sense of self-worth, feeling we, are, we have arrived somewhere, but not having it verified by life itself as we think it should be, being disappointed by our own feelings, by feelings of other people, what, what we think people think about us, by what we think they don't think about us. So maybe we think, well, I have not yet clarify the fundamental point. Now, to, to be clear on the unborn nature of life sounds, well, you know, I'm definitely not there. But we can ask it in a different way. 
that actually applies to everyone. Everyone is willing to accept the basic truth of our existence. Clearly knowing that everything is constantly changing, that we are all on an impermanent, of an impermanent nature, on a path that leads to that, whether we accept it or not. Clearly knowing that death is certain, the time is not. Knowing all that, why are we still holding on to a fixed self that does not change? Why do we create, protect, and defend an illusion and then get entangled by all its cherished possessions? Why do we create entanglements, get trapped by them, and try to free ourselves from them? You know, the commentary tells a story, a related story, about how Zhuishan himself got entangled and reacted. When he was studying with Dijang, his teacher, two monks came to visit his teacher, Dijang, and bowed as they were about to leave. Dijang said, both wrong. So not, neither of these monks said anything at the moment, they just left. Later, they went to Zhuishan, who was a senior monk, and asked him to explain why did Dijang say, say wrong? What was his meaning? So Zhuishan said, well, you yourself are magnificent and outstanding, yet you bow to someone else. Isn't that wrong? Now when Jinshan, who was the head monk, and of course he was, the, he was senior to Zhuishan, he heard about that, this answer, and he disapproved of it. He told Zhuishan, you yourself are deluded and ignorant. How can you help others? You don't know what you're talking about. Of course, Zhuishan didn't like that very much, so he ran to complain to his teacher, Dijan. Sometimes running monastery is like running a kindergarten. Go complain. So Dijan looked at him, listened to him, then looked at him, and said, the cook went down to the pantry. Hearing this, Zhuishan immediately realized his error. So Zhuishan, of course, reacted in a way that makes sense. Somebody is putting him down. Somebody is uh, saying, you're not that good with this. How can you do this? How can you answer in this way? You're ignorant and deluded. Is it, was it meant to belittle him? We can take it this way. But maybe it was meant to wake him up, to show him how we are stayed by life. How quickly we create a trap and crawl into it. How easy it is for us to get trapped, to get entangled. 
and then go whine about it to someone else. I mean, he felt that his answer to the traveling monks was very fitting. And it's not that his answer was not true. There's nothing wrong with his answer. But there was something else going on in the background. It's not the words that matter as much as the energy that's behind the words. Or the, the self that it is sitting on. Or the self that is expressing. That's what we have to look at rather than make too much of words. So, of course, when the monk rebuked him, he felt defensive and wanted to push back. That which we call the self lives on through the thinking mind. He's always, and he's always possessive of its ground. And when threatened, it'll jump on any opportunity to reclaim lost territories, to get more ground. And quite often, the, the deeper the realization goes, the more threatened it will feel. And the more strong, the stronger it will resist. But resistance is futile, isn't it? And impermanence is not an option. It's reality. It's not, well, I'd rather go somewhere else, live a different kind of life. So Jin Shan's question is very reasonable. Knowing that resistance is futile, understanding that we are disintegrating with every passing moment. Why do we make such a big deal of ourselves? What are we protecting and defending? What are we worried about? Annihilation? Guaranteed. Now what? What are we worried about? Why defend? Why protect? But we have explanations, reasons. Logical reasons. That's what Rishan is trying to do, to explain. And he's dealing with this question using a simple and logical analogy. He says, Bamboo shoots will eventually become bamboo. But if you use them now for bamboo ropes, can you make them serve the purpose? Later on, they will become fully grown bamboo. But not yet. That's why I get trapped. This question actually appears in an earlier text from the time of the Buddha, and he's dealt with in a similar way. Once when the Buddha and, his, and the congregation were invited to a feast at some rich man's house in the village, 
during the meal, Manjushri got up and asked, Is there anyone who knows the unborn nature of life and is held back by life? And the young girl, she was the daughter of the, the guy who invited them, by the name Antisha, got up and said, Yes, there is. The one who clearly sees but his strength is not yet sufficient is held back by life. So this answer and Drishan's answer or analogy of course make perfect sense for us. Now, and the bamboo rope, back in those days they used to peel off the outer layer of a mature bamboo and weave it into rope. Maybe they still do it in some remote area, a process which would not work very well with a young bamboo plant. Right? You can make a rope and if you make a rope it won't work. So, and we often talk about maturity in practice. Have levels to indicate that progress, right? Dongshan's five ranks, the ten ox herding pictures, the Buddha's four level of jhana, four level of meditation. We have Jukai, which some of you have taken, some not. In Soto, we have two levels of priesthood, a Dharma holder position, a Sensei, a Roshi. Rinzai, there's an ordained practitioner, Osho, Roshi. So we are surrounded by that. Even in the practice, of course, outside the practice, everything is divided to level and, levels and ranks. Even in the practice. And there's not anything wrong with this. These are all traditional elements of our practice. But if we don't use them skillfully, they can create a hindrance. Right? The elements are there, all elements are there to help us practice and realize the unborn. But the unborn is free of practice, gradations, or realization. It's empty of anything, which is the problem because, well, and the solution, but for us, we want to rush and fill in the blank, too empty. So we mark levels and lines on it. And you, can, you can look at the practice as a, as a ladder maybe. And try to figure out, you know, on which rung are you standing? And we get obsessed with that. How many rungs have we climbed so far? And how many do I have to climb before I get to the roof? Because that's where the promised land is, up there. And the analogy may be skillful somewhat, right? But we tend to forget that each rung each one is made of the same wood. You're always on that ladder. So in reality, it doesn't really matter how far you think you've walked on the path. But it does matter that we understand what it means to be on the path. 
which means we need to learn to travel well. From the beginning, from day one, we are expected to practice in accordance with the Dharma. And from a baseline of already being a Buddha. Not becoming, being. It's very easy to fall into a trap of thinking, I'm not realized yet. So I can keep holding on to some possessive tendencies. Or maybe I justify slacking off in my practice. Well, when I, you know, when my practice deepens, then of course I will be much more diligent. But I'm not there yet, so for now, this is good, this works. Or even with the precepts, I decide to take Jukaya. I don't have to worry about upholding precepts. But that's not practicing correctly. Or that's not practicing the Dharma. That's practicing what we practice before we enter a spiritual path. Before we came here. But since we are here, we're all practicing together. Regardless of levels, ranks, ideas of achievement or no achievement. Or realization or deluded, being realized or being deluded. So, Rishan may be using the bamboo analogy as an excuse. Or maybe he's saying it just to see where the dialogue goes. Jinshan says, later on, you will be enlightened on your own. Why would he say that? What's his meaning? Later on. When, when does now become later? Have you ever looked at you know, how we think and we think that, well, you know, from now, then later, this is going to happen. Right now, it's not happening. But look for the line that separates what was and what is, or what is and what will be. Look for it. Don't believe what you read, what you hear. Look for it for yourself. Is it ever possible to put your finger on a separating line? Does it really exist? So what is he saying? Is he asking us to wait until that time comes? And in the meantime, uphold the partial practice, a practice that is based on not quite being mature in the practice or being full, being there, being a full-grown bamboo. In the footnote under this question, clearly knowing the unborn nature of life, why we stayed by life, says, watch for the nose pin. Now this is referring to the pin on the nose of an ox. 
which is used to control the ox's movement. But what he's really asking us to do is watch if we take, ask, if we actually take responsibility or abnegate it. Give it to time. Give it to the conditions. Give it to someone else. Well, someone else will uphold the practice because that someone is already realized. He's got the title. She has the right rakusu, the right robe. I don't. So I don't have to worry about that. It's perfectly justified to mess up. To not pay full attention. What are we waiting for? Who are we waiting for? Who will do it? You may remember Dr. Seuss's waiting place. I just thought about that in relation to this. And he said, he wrote, everybody is just waiting. Waiting for a train to go or a bus to come. A plane to go or the mail to come. Or the rain to go or the phone to ring. Or the snow to snow or waiting around for a yes or a no. Or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting. Waiting for the fish to bite. For the wind to fly kite. Waiting around for Friday night. Waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake. Or for a pot to boil. Or a better break. Or a string of pearls. Or a pair of pants. Or a wig with curls. Or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. It's very fitting, isn't it? We just wait around for a better day, a better me, a realized version. And each version for us has its do's and don'ts, is a list of what I should be doing and what I am not quite there to do. So I'll just wait. So Zrishan responds by saying, I'm just this way. What about you? And Jinshan ends it by saying, This is where the superintendent lives, and this is where the cook lives. And the footnote under this line says, He hit the ball to another place. He hit the ball to another place. That's the way it is, right now. There it is. Realized or not, this is where the cook lives. This is where the superintendent lives. And that's not going to change. Right now. Is that sufficient? To reframe, totally reframe the moment, or unframe the moment, It's a great way to stop, not only stop the mind from spinning, but also show the embodiment of the unborn. That is how the unborn shows up, day by day, moment by moment. Fully alive, 
dancing freely. But we wait. A better version. Approval. Affirmation. Confirmation. Just take a second. Stop spinning the wheels. Look around. Everything you see is offering a way to reconnect with the unborn. Realize inherent freedom. And at the same time, everything around you is offering equally a trap. Both are true. What do you choose? When will you choose? The unborn is another way to refer to emptiness, nothingness. But emptiness is a difficult word for us. Very difficult because we think it's empty of something. Empty of contents. But all it means is that it's empty of separate existence. Everything is empty of separate existence. Everything is co-arising. Everything is of the same interdependent origination, which is unborn and undying, because it's not dependent on a form coming into form, a body coming into form, and then dying, disintegrating. Unborn and undying. Nothing exists unto itself. But those are words that can only, at best, point at an experience of the unborn. We want to hold on to something, we want to rely on something, but in reality there is nothing more reliable than formlessness. Because it can never be destroyed. Nor does it have to be protected. What a sigh of relief, right? Nothing to worry about, nothing to protect, nothing to defend. No self to make up, hold on to. Now, the mechanism that propels the mind to weave stories and grasp them is automatic and impulsive. We can't help it. It happens. All we need to do is just recognize that and then be proactive in intercepting our fascination with the spinning mind, with its creations. And then turn to the practice instead of following after thoughts and emotions. No excuses. No part-time practice. Every moment, full-time practice. Just that. Only that. The introduction says, the one who hears the scent-bearing elephant has already gone with the flow. 
even one who knows that birth is unborn, is stayed by birth. If you go on talking about before concentration and after concentration, that's before realization, after realization, making bamboo shoots and making bamboo ropes, you will be marking the boat when the salt is long gone. When the salt is long gone. So the Nirvana Sutra talks about solid practice and illustrates it using three animals, which I think I mentioned before here. Three animals crossing a river. An elephant, a horse, and a rabbit. When a rabbit crosses the river, it scoots across the surface. When a horse crosses the river, sometimes its feet touch the bottom, sometimes they don't. Float over it. Which is neither here nor there. But when an elephant crosses the river, its feet always firmly touch the bottom. And some commentators say that the Japanese word tete, which means thoroughly, comes from this story about how an elephant walks. So a Zen practice must be thorough and firm-footed like this. But then he says, even, even firm-footedness can become a future goal or an idea or something to hold on to. Even that must be let go of. All must be let go of. Sozan Zenji once brought this up and asked Elder Toku, in what sutra the passage appears saying, Bodhisattva, here's the fragrant elephant crossing the river while in Samadhi. Elder Toku said the Nirvana Sutra. And Sozan then asked, does he hear it before Samadhi or after Samadhi? Before realization or after realization? Elder Toku says he hears it in Samadhi. In. During. Samadhi. But then you ask what level of Samadhi, of course. Now, Sozan brought this up to test Elder Toku to see if he's still stuck in before and after. And the same with the introduction. It's taking this point further and tells us that as long as we hold on to ranks or levels, we miss the opportunities to wholeheartedly practice. Because part of the attention is stolen by that. Is lost in that. And we miss life itself. You know, the line, you'll be marking the boat when the sword is long gone. Referring to the story where a warrior was riding a boat, lost his sword in the river, and marked the boat at the point where he lost the sword to go look for it. It's what happens. It's what we do. It sounds silly when stories like that are brought up, but it is silly. Because nothing stops, ever. Everything is constantly changing, moving, pulsating. So we mark the salt, go look for it. We mark the, sorry, we mark the boat, go look for the salt. The verse says, empty and at ease, without dependence, lofty and serene, untrammeled. Home and country peaceful, those who arrive are rare. Now, empty and ease without dependence. 
not depending on anything, realizing emptiness, realizing the unborn nature of life. What leans against what? What is supporting what? Without dependence, then empty and at ease. And then it says, a little bit of power divides ranks and grades. And the footnote says, forcibly creating subdivisions. A little bit of power. What is power? What is spiritual power? When it comes out of the unborn. When it expresses, when the unborn expresses itself. What? is more powerful. A little bit of power. Well, who is saying that? Who is approving and disapproving? I'm waiting for others to say, I got enough power. One footnote there says that his nose is in another's hand. Abnegating responsibility or partial responsibility. Of course, we have to divide it when we think this, when we feel this way, because if I don't know where, where I am, then where will my power come from? The power come from, comes from the rank, when it's a little bit of power, when it's spiritual power. It does not need approval. It is experienced. It's a different kind of knowing. And it says the fluid, the fluid, clear mind and body is beyond right or wrong. Right and wrong ended. Standing alone on earth, there is no beaten path. Right and wrong ended. Yesterday and tomorrow end. Today ends. All subdivisions end. I'm there, I'm not there. What is it all about anyway? When is it about? When will it happen? When does it happen? What do we wake up to, if not this? The commentary brings up a poem that's actually related to this. The point this Kwanz brings up. Pity that my mind is clear, but my power is insufficient. Time after time, seeds produce manifest patterns. Like a man gone crazy from wine, no sooner sworn off drink than finding some fine liquor. And time after time, seeds manifest, produce manifest patterns is referring to our persistent habits. The way we want to see reality. Insist on seeing it this way. That's what we encountered. That's what we work with. 
which is fine. But put it aside for a while. Look around. When the attention is not there, what's missing? Is later really missing now? That we have to wait for it? Or do we have to lament and whine about yesterday? It's an option. Realization is not a matter of time. It's a matter of willingness to shed all the extra baggage we have become so attached to. There's no becoming. Only the being, the experience of being, does get deeper and deeper and deeper endlessly. That never stops. Zen master Bankei, 17th century Japanese Zen master, focused his entire teachings around realizing the unborn. He said, instead of struggling to do or become something, one needs to cease struggling entirely. If one is truly natural and innocently spontaneous, the unborn will appear. The key to realization is not some method of practice, however helpful this may be but letting go of everything which is not the unborn. This involves no special methods as typically understood. It involves the total openness of one of the one who has no presumed goal, intention, desire, or wish. And that's what it takes. Letting go of what we bring with us, of what we engage in when we think, and then all there is, all there is, is just the unborn. All there is. I'd like to finish with uh, Maizumi Roshi's last verse. He said, The Dharma of thusness has been intimately conveyed from Buddhas to an ancestors. It has been transmitted generation after generation down to me. To complete or not to complete is of no consequence. Enlightenment above enlightenment, delusion within delusion is also of no consequence. Manifest Genjo Kuan, which is actualizing the fundamental point, play freely in inward and outward fulfilling samadhi. Maintain and nourish the one Buddha mind seed. Life after life, rebirth after rebirth, practice diligently, do not regress, do not let the wisdom seed of the Buddhas and ancestors be discontinued. Thus, I deeply implore you. And that's what we have to do. That is our responsibility. Only today, only now, wholeheartedly. To use all the ingredients of our lives to the best of our ability. 